You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right, so we're continuing in our series in Genesis, uh, and we've called it Meant for Good, and we're kind of working our way towards the end of this, of this book, uh, and we're going to kind of pick up some speed in the next couple of weeks as we'll see some pretty big narratives and so we're gonna be in chapter 39 today. So if you have a copy of scriptures in front of you, grab it, open it. If not, it'll be on the screen. Uh, one of the woes, one of the chores in our house that no one likes to do is to taking out Milton. And you've been, heard about Milton before. And the reason is because Milton is strong as an ox. And so uh, he will pull you any which way he wants to go. If there's a golf cart, if there's a deer, if something is outside, it's just you holding on for the ride. And, and I'm the only one in the house for some reason that can let Milton out off the leash. It's dangerous enough with the leash. If anyone else just opens the door, he's gone. You'll see him an hour later, he'll be happy, he's run around, he's had his, his fun. But for some reason, I can let him out, and it's my presence that 90% of the time, I mean, once in a while there's a, a cat or a squirrel and it's, it's, it's off, you know, he's just gone. But most of the time, he stays in the yard. Something about my presence with Milton, makes a difference. And the same is true for us as followers of Jesus. The the scripture teach that God is omniscient. That's a theological, I mean, not omniscient, omnipresent. That's a theological word that means that God is all present, that he is everywhere. And so Jesus, before he ascends back into heaven, he tells his followers, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. One of Jesus' other names is Emmanuel, We talk about it a lot at Christmas, but it means God is with us. And I think if we've been in church for a while, we sing that and we believe that, but I don't know if it ever gets below the kind of 35,000 foot level. Like, yeah, I I know that, I sing it, uh, I believe it, but, but what difference does that make? Does it keep me in the yard like Milton? Because right? I'm, I'm at home under quarantine or I'm, I'm homeschooling kids and I, it's not what my plan was or I'm at a job that I like or that I don't like or I'm at uh, you know, this place on this team. What difference does God, does Jesus being omnipresent make or should it make in the life of his followers? That, that's what we're gonna kind of dig in today uh, as we unpack Genesis chapter 39 is, is not just what difference does it make, what differences it should make, and hopefully get to see not just this, this kind of grandiose big picture, but just some real specific and practical ways in which God with us means something, right? So Genesis 39, and what we've seen, you know, we looked at the life of Isaac, we've looked at the life of Jacob, and now we're in the portion that deals with Joseph, and we saw he was introduced back in 37, a couple weeks ago we looked at that, and he is the favorite son He's given a coat, different from his brothers. He's given authority over his brothers. He was given a dream by God that he was gonna be exalted and he was gonna rule over them. But right now, he's not living there. Right Right now, he is a slave. He has been sold. And and, in chapter 39 is gonna pick up where 37 left off. We have that kind of weird Maury Povich kind of story that we looked at last week. We'll see how that comes back into play this week. But he is a servant, a slave in the house of Potiphar. And this chapter has kind of three big movements. And here's my goal, just to give you three practical ways in which God with us changes us. It makes a difference 
in our life. So let's jump into verse one. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the garden Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. So he is in the house of Potiphar. He is the captain of the, basically the secret police of Egypt. He is in charge of guarding Pharaoh. He is in essence the top FBI agent in Egypt. And so now Joseph is at the epicenter of the power of, the, of really the known world. He is this close. He is living next door to the king. And you gotta think in his mind, he has this dream back in the day and he remembers he's gonna be exalted and maybe he's thinking, this is it. I mean, I'm close to what God has promised. And verse two highlights, the Lord was with Joseph. God with us. God is with Joseph. And as a result, he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. Now don't think there's some time that elapses here. So don't think that Joseph just shows up and all of a sudden he's in charge. He's giving orders. He's doing all. He comes in the low man on the totem pole. He is the newest servant, which means he's like the new guy at the office. Go get the coffee, right? He, he, he does all the menial things, the, the lowest things. So maybe that's taking care of the animals. Maybe that's washing the feet of those who come in. Maybe that is, uh, he's in charge of taking out the garbage, He's at the low end when he comes in, but he starts killing it from the get-go. And so if he's in charge of taking out the garbage, he doesn't just take out the garbage, he, he organizes the garage. And he doesn't just kind of clean the feet and make sure everyone's you know, clean when they come in. He's got the towels organized. He makes sure it's clean water. It smells nice and fragrant. He's got some, you know, whatever kind of soaps. He's killing it. He's taking care of the animals. He's just not feeding them. He's, he's grooming them. They're healthier. They're happier than they've ever been. Everything he does turns to gold. And his master sees, verse three, that the Lord is with him. And the Lord caused all that he did to succeed. So here you got a guy who worships basically everything there is in creation. He worships Pharaoh as God. He worships the Nile as God. He worships the sun as God. He worships cats. Who worships cats? right, like the Egyptians, but he who recognizes there's something about this guy and his God, and that this is a God thing. This, everything he touches is just excellent. It draws attention to the one true God. And so he eventually, verse four, he, he, Joseph finds favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house, put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and in his field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about everything but the food he ate. So he comes in low man, and now he's in charge of the whole house. All right, so Potiphar says, here's the keys to the house. Here's the code to the alarm. Here's the credit card. Here's the check card. Here's the keys to the Beamer. Here's the keys to the weapons, right? All I gotta think about is what's for supper? Joseph's taking care of everything, right? Everything. Why? Because God is with him. And here's the first thing I want us to see and be encouraged by this morning. Despite whatever's going on out there and whatever's happening in our lives is that because God is with us, we can thrive wherever we are at. In fact, I would make that a command. Thrive wherever you are at. Why? Because God is with us, right? Now, let's be honest. Joseph does, this is not his ideal. He does not want to be here. He would much rather be out in the field taking care of his father's sheep 
back with his parents wearing his nice coat. This is not his dream job. But what he does is he says, this is where I'm at. And I am going to be a conduit of God's blessing. Where am I? I am going to thrive here in Egypt, in Potiphar's house. God has given me a specific gift set. He's putting me here. I am going to be a blessing in this situation, even if it's not my dream situation. See, that is the difference that God with us makes for us. That wherever you're at, because of God's presence, you can thrive. Right? And you'll know this is happening if you're at your work and your boss can say, I know you got that because you always do. And he's not checking up on you. And she's not checking your hours and making sure that you're doing what you say you're doing. When you have a teacher who can lay the test down in front of you and say, here, put this on my desk when you're done. And they can walk out of the room because they know you're not going to cheat and get your phone out and start Googling who was the first president of the United States. If you don't know that, you should be failed anyway, right? If you're on a team and your coach gives you a workout or is, is, has to walk out of the gym for a few moments, but they're not worried that you're just gonna be kind of skating through the drills or they know you're gonna do the workout that you, you, they sent you through email at home. If your dad says cut the lawn and he doesn't have to come behind you and check and make sure you edged and make sure you weed whacked and make sure you blew and make sure you bagged everything, that, that's how you know I'm in a position where I may be thriving, right? It's an idea that we talk about time and time again is that God puts us in specific places, even places we may not wanna be sometimes, so that you can be a conduit of his blessing. That you can be a blessing because you have been blessed. That doesn't mean you're gonna end up like Joseph the top dog, you may not. It could mean that you are in a place where I got laid off, I've been furloughed, I hate my job which are all very real. But that doesn't mean that you cannot thrive in that place because you, you cannot always control what is out there. You, don't, you can't control where you are, but you, what you can do is take your gifts, take how God's wired you and say, I'm gonna be a blessing here. Joseph knows that he's got admin gifts. I mean, he's got mad skills, we're gonna see. And so he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take these and I'm gonna make this house run as smooth as it's ever been right? That's, that's the decision we all have. God is with me. I can thrive, even if this is not where I want to be. And I know that's hard because some of us are thinking, yeah, but you don't, Bill, you don't know. I'm the only Christian in my office. I mean, all my roommates, they're, they're, not, they're not Christians. My spouse is not a believer. Only one on my team. And that's challenging. There's no doubt about it. But how would you like to be the only believer in God in the entire country as Joseph? He's all alone. And he's still choosing to thrive. Why? Because God is with him, right? God is with him. And for us living 4,000 years later, God is with us in a, in a more tangible way than ever even in, that Joseph could imagine because we as the church are indwelt by the very spirit of Christ. The Old Testament saints, God would, would come upon him for a season or he would be present, but not in the way he is with New Testament believers where God is actually indwelling his church, that he has anointed us, that he fills us, that he has sealed us, that he is with us in a tangible way. Right. That it's something that's completely unique that even Joseph didn't get to experience, and that's us. This is why Paul and Silas can be in jail and they can be singing hymns because they're gonna thrive even in the basement of the prison. So it's, it's really a perspective for us 
because God is with me, I'm gonna be the joy in this place if no one else is. I'm gonna be the encourager in this place. Um, if everyone else is slack, I am gonna do things with excellence because I want to be a blessing to this place. Because God is with us, because God is with Joseph, he thrives where he's at. He can thrive in coronavirus. And that's what we wanna be. And that's what God's presence does for us, his church. That's the first thing. Let's continue on. Six, second half of six, drops this little note. Joseph was a stud. That's my translation. He was handsome in form and appearance. He gets his looks from his mama. This is the same thing that it says about his mama, Rachel. He was, in his day, the Brad Pitt. He is the next choice for The Bachelor. He's got the abs. He's got the guns. He's got the, the, the white teeth. He's been using whitener, right? He's got, he's got it all, the personality. He is a stud, right? And that leads into what happens next, verse seven. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. So here's this young, successful, handsome, gifted dude and his boss's wife is hitting on him. And he is going to teach us something about how to respond to temptation, how to respond to sin. Look what he says, verse eight. But he refused And he said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it's kind of two aspects of of what really sin is. Sin is is relational. There's a horizontal aspect. There's a vertical aspect. Horizontally, sin is, it harms other people. So whether we envy or lie or we're discouraging or gossip or whatever it is, there's a relational piece where we damage and we hurt other people. He says, I can't, how could I do this to my boss? This man, there's no one in this house as great as I am. It would be wrong, but then he really, he really kind of zooms in on the vertical aspect, that, that piece that sin is an affront to a holy God. It's against his character. It's against his nature. And he says, how could I do this great wickedness against God? This, this would be against God. This is, like, it's all sin ultimately, even though it has a relational piece horizontally, it's ultimately against God. So when David commits adultery and murder with Bathsheba and then her husband, he says, against you, God, and you alone I've sinned and done what is evil in your sight because it's an affront to God. And, that, and that's where he hits. I can't, this, there's something bigger here going on. I cannot do this, right? And it, it sounds, it's super interesting because this sounds a lot like something that happened similar, similar earlier in, in Genesis chapter two, right? He says here, uh, I'm, I'm the greatest in this house. I can do anything I want. There's nothing I cannot do. There's only one thing that I don't have authority of and that's you, his wife, It sounds a lot like what God says to Adam in Genesis. You can do anything you want. You can eat from any tree you want. You have all authority. You you can go anywhere you want. You just can't do this one thing. You can't eat from that one tree. It's very similar. And where Adam and Eve fail and they fall, Joseph does not. And it would have been, y'all, it would have been so easy for him. I mean, there's no one there. His family's gone. No one cares. Right, he could easily justify, well, she's my boss. Got to do what my boss says. When in Egypt, do as the Egyptians do. Everyone else is. I mean, if her husband was paying more attention to her, I mean, then this wouldn't be an issue, right? 
I've been working hard. I've been doing a good job. I deserve to blow off some steam. And same thing we do. Oh, it's been a difficult season. I just, I just need to do something to feel, make myself feel better. It's not a big deal. No one will know. No one will see. I'm not hurting everyone. You could, you could play, it, play it out in your mind, but he does not. He resists. And here's the second thing that God's presence does for us in our life. It helps us, it teaches us to resist temptation. It teaches us to resist sin and temptation. Where, where Adam and Eve are deceived and think God is keeping something from them, Joseph realizes that God has something better because he has a vision for who he is and what God has called him to. This is big. He believes that God has a calling on his life, that there is something that God is calling him to do, and so he is able to resist temptation. There's no way I can do this and sin against God. I know no one's gonna know. My family's gone, but God will know. I know that, I know that no one can see. It's all in secret, but God will see. And this is, this is a defining moment for Joseph's life. This decision is probably the most important decision he will ever make because he doesn't know it, but this decision is gonna, gonna change his future. It's gonna change his family's future. It's gonna change the nation of Israel's future. And he didn't wake up that morning thinking, I'm gonna make a decision today that's gonna change the trajectory of my life. He didn't wake up that way, but it was. And we all make thousands of decisions, right? Hundreds a week, thousands a year. Um, and some of those are just little, what you're gonna have to eat, but some of them have implications that, that will change the trajectory of your future. And you never know when they're going to happen. You never know. And that's why we have to have a vision of, of who God is and what he has called us to so that when those things come up, we will make the decision that will honor him and it will override those temptations that, that show up constantly and not give in. That God has called me something greater. He has a purpose. And so I am not going to deride that for a moment, just a moment of pleasure. I think, I think us as Christians, a lot of times we're missing that, that calling on our life and that vision of what God has called us to do. And so when any temptation or distraction come up because we're bored, because we don't have it, we have no direction, we have no conviction, is we just fall for anything. Because we don't have this, this, this understanding of who God has called us to be. Just like Nehemiah, when Nehemiah is building the wall and he knows God has called him to build the wall. And so the distraction comes from Tobiah. And he says, come on down to Ono. And he says, no, I, I, I cannot leave what God has called me to. And we see this just even in the natural world. If you're like, I wanna get fit, I wanna be healthy, I wanna run that 5K. That's your goal, that's your vision, that's your calling. And then somebody brings two dozen Krispy Kreme to the office, right? If you've got no goal, you're gonna eat five of those puppies before you even think, right? But if you're like, no, 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 I, I, I gotta run six miles this afternoon, I gotta, you're gonna be able to resist, it's gonna override that temptation. If you're like, I, I need to keep my Hope Scholarship, I need to get into this college, I need to work hard, I need to, when those people call you on a Thursday night and you have a biology test Friday morning, and they're like, come on, we're gonna go out, we're gonna go hang out. This vision, this calling on you is gonna override that temptation. You're not gonna be sidetracked. That's the way it is with, with who we are spiritually. God has given us his spirit. He has put a calling on our lives, right? And, and it's to override those things that try to pull us away that sin that entangles us. And think about the difference. This is why I think chapter 38 is here. Think about the difference between Judah and Joseph. Judah's kind of aimless, wandering around with his buddy, walking around, and he's got no purpose, he's got no conviction, boom, he falls. Joseph 
who has a lot less going for him because he understands who he is and what God has called him to. He's able to resist. We are the people of God. What a high calling that God has put upon us. He has put his spirit. We carry not only the imago Dei, this, the image of God, but we carry the spirit of Jesus everywhere we go. Man, that is special. That is unique. And it means that everything we do matters, whether it's in public or in secret. And because he's with us, he promises us, there is no temptation that has overtaken you, but such is common to man. But I am faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will provide a way of escape also that you may be able to endure because of his presence. But we gotta have that, that, that calling of, I'm a child of God. The spirit of Christ is in me. No one else may know, but Jesus knows. See, that changes Joseph. It should change us. But that's not where it stops. He, he, that's, that's one driving piece for him. He's able to resist. But there's some other practical things he does. Let's continue on in the text. Because this is not a, a one-shot deal. This woman is persistent. Verse 10. And she spoke to Joseph day after day, week after week. Who knows how long? And he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. She keeps coming at him day after day after day. And what does he do? He ignores her. It says he, he does his best to not be with her. He tries his best to resist by staying away. I think this is a super practical application for us. If you know there's an area of weakness in your life, you gotta know yourself, you gotta be honest with yourself, you gotta know what your triggers are, where your propensities are, and you know that this is my issue, then you have to be willing to stay away from that. So if you have an issue, every time you drive by that pub, you wanna, you wanna go in there and you spend way too much time in there, then you might need to take the long way around. I don't care if it's two miles out of your way. That would be how you resist, right? Or if you know that you and your significant other, uh, every time you're alone together at night, in the couch, in the car, there's an issue of purity. Then you gotta avoid the opportunity, you gotta always be, be surrounding yourself with people or you gotta leave or not, not put yourself in those positions. That's how you resist. If every time you run with that group of folks, you ended up, it ends up going in a bad place, then you need to either bring some friends with you or you need to avoid going to that because that's how you resist. If every time that person calls you, you end up getting into a place and talking about things you know, slamming people, then you need to ghost them. Text them back, right? You, you need to, because you, you, that's how you resist. It's just practical, that's what he does. I, this, is, this, this is a real temptation for him. He's lonely. He's, he's handsome. He's successful. He's not some uber spiritual dude that doesn't fall, have temptations. It's a real temptation. So I cannot do that. I cannot. He's not walking by with his shirt off, gleaning and smiling at her and playing with it. Sin. He's, he's staying away as best as he can. It's, it's, it's super practical for us, right? If there's an area that we struggle with. But that's not it. Because sometimes... It's, it's not possible to avoid. We live in a fallen world. So let's see what happens next. Verse 11. But one day when she went into the house to do, he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house. Apparently she had sent them all out and she caught him by his garment. She grabbed him saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. He just books it. He just smokes it, leaves his jacket and runs right out of the house, Right? And, and sometimes you can't avoid it and it only, the only option is you gotta flee. You just gotta run. 
you gotta get out of Dodge. You walk into that party, you know it's no good what's going on there. You gotta go outside and, mom, can you come pick me up? It's no good. You're on a business trip, all the guys are going to a place that you have no business going. You gotta go back and call your wife and say, hey, honey, I'm back at the hotel. All right, you gotta flee. And, and sometimes you look silly fleeing. Do you think you look like a silly man running through the house, running outside? Absolutely. But you know what he is? He's a man of integrity. He may look silly, but he's godly. There's a time to resist, and then there's a time to run, right? That's for young and old. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee immorality. That's, that's an easy verse to memorize. Flee immorality. Put that on your list. Here's another one. He says to Timothy, his young protege, flee youthful passions. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That's would be a great verse just to, to hide in your arsenal, in your mind, right? Because I think what we do, we, we kind of try to play our lives by the price is right rules sometimes. Get as close as I can without going over. Right, and, and Paul says, no, you gotta run, you gotta flee. And in a culture that is saturated with immorality and sexuality more than it probably ever, that's the new norm. Paul reminds us that not even a hint, sexual immorality and purity covetousness, not even named among us. That, that's the standard. The culture may have shifted and the culture may have changed, but God's standard for his people has not. You gotta flee. You gotta flee like Joseph. And all, like, all sin is sin, and all sin is redeemable and forgivable, and Jesus pays for all sin. But just in my short tenure, pastoral ministry, I have, this type of sin, sexual immorality, is, is for, for whatever reason, the one sin that, that hardens people's hearts like nothing else I've seen. It, it brings guilt and shame like nothing else that I've seen. And it has a, a, a way of impacting a, a future trajectory like no other sin that I've seen, right? And so I think a great practical application maybe for some of us is, is to go back and read Proverbs chapter seven this week where Solomon's telling his son about the adulterous woman and just to, to stay away because it's delightful for a moment but in the end, her, her, her door leads to Sheol, to death, it's like I was running yesterday and I saw these people crabbing and pulling up the crabs. I'm thinking, don't the crabs know? I mean, come on. It's a little bit of chicken and maybe they'll get a few bites of chicken, but in the end, it's the pot, right? They end up in the pot. They end up cooked. And it's a moment of delight as they're kind of chomping away and then that net comes up and they're smoked. And that's, that's immorality. That's why you flee. And God is, is with him and he has a calling on his life and he has a purpose and he knows what God's called him to. So he's able to resist because of that. And then he avoids as best he can. And then when the time comes, he flees. It's, it's a great application for us. Why? Because God is with us. God is with us. One more thing. Let's continue. Verse 13. As soon as she saw that, she had, that he had left his garment in her hand, he had fled out of the house. She called to the men of her household and said, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. As soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And then she laid up his garment by her until her master, his master came home. And she told him the same story saying, the Hebrew servant who you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Liar, liar, pants on fire. This is the second time Joseph's been lied about with one of his articles of clothing. 
right? Poor guy can't catch a break. Every time he's innocent. And she lies about what happened to cover her, maybe her bitterness or anger or whatever. Verse 19, and as soon as her master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in prison. And you think, where is the justice? I mean, where is Perry Mason? Where is the lie detector? Where is DNA testing when you need it? Right? He gets thrown in an Egyptian prison, which by the way is not some Martha Stewart cupcake prison. It's not you know lifting weights in an hour of TV a day. This is 4,000 years ago, Egypt. The psalmist says he was, his neck was bound and his feet were bound, all for something that is not even true. And you would think, he was obedient. He did what God wanted him to do. And he's punished. And to make matters worse, verse 21, it's almost like it's rubbing salt on the wound. The Lord was with Joseph. That's great and encouraging, but couldn't the Lord be with Joseph outside of prison? I mean, does he have to be in prison? And there's this, 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 for the, especially those who are people of justice and that really gets your goad when there's injustice in the world. This is the kind of text that drives you mad. Yeah, the Lord is with you and he shows him steadfast love and favor, but couldn't he do that in Potiphar's house? Couldn't the truth be told? And, and this, is a, this is a hard truth for us to grasp in the church, but sometimes being obedient in the moment will not make things better. It actually makes things more challenging. It makes it more difficult, Right? When you are the one at the office who's not gonna cheat and, and do this and lie and do all these things and you get ostracized or you lose your job for doing what is right. Or maybe you've been falsely accused of something that wasn't your fault. Or maybe you got three partners and, and the business goes sideways, not because you, because you've been working 70 hours a week and you've been doing everything, but they've been lazy. And so everything comes on you and now there's bankruptcy and it's not your fault, it's, it's other people's fault. Or maybe you lost your job because some virus from some bat somewhere shows up in America and it's not fair. And you've been a great worker and you've done nothing wrong and you've been faithful. And you're like, what in the world, right? He is, he's been nothing but faithful, this guy. In fact, the reason he resists is because he wants to honor his boss and the very man he wanted to honor throws him in prison, which I think shows a little bit that he's a little bit questioning his wife because he could have killed him but he throws him in prison because maybe he's like, this is so uncharacteristic for this guy. But his, verse, his word versus her word. But in the end, God shows him favor. But you have, we have two ways we can respond when we're in this kind of circumstance, right? Like Joseph's, unfair, things go sideways. We can get bitter, get mad, quit. God's not in control. It's not worth it. I'm not gonna, if, if, if I'm not gonna, if I'm gonna be faithful and he's not gonna meet my needs and I'm just gonna do whatever. Get cynical, doubt, or like Joseph, we can keep trusting and realize I'm not God. And as much as we'd like to think sometimes we are, and as much as we'd like to think that God's job is to make me have a great life and happy, that would make us God, right? And our job is to, worship and follow him, right? It's not, I do my part, God does his part, we meet in the middle. No, that, that, that's, that's not how it works. It's he is God and I am not, and he is good and I trust him. That's where Joseph is. That's where he is, right? 
And he, he doesn't know it at the time. And here's what's great about for us looking at this story. He doesn't know it, but he's actually closer to the throne now than he's ever been. He feels like he just got called for a holding penalty and the ball got moved back 10 yards. But in actuality, the ball is minching forward and he is closer to the end zone than he's ever been, right? If he actually would have stayed in Potiphar's house, he would not have experienced God's best for his life. That sounds so weird, but he would never have made, he would, that's as close as he would have gotten next door. He would have never got where God ultimately wants him to be if he stays in the house. So he's actually moving forward, even though he feels like he's moving back. Because here's what we know from reading ahead, that there's famine coming. And the famine is gonna be so bad that everybody in Egypt and Canaan and around is going to starve to death if someone doesn't do something. And guess who's gonna do something? Joseph, because he's gonna come into the right place at the right time with the right people and God's gonna use him to save not only Egypt, but to save his own family, all because he's thrown in prison. And the psalmist says this when it kind of recounts this passage. It says, when he, when God summoned a famine on the land and broke all the supply of bread, God had sent a man ahead of them. Who? Joseph. I love that line. He sent a man ahead. How did he send him? Oh, he was sold into slavery. He was thrown into a pit. But he's preparing Joseph to do what? To save everybody. And at the end, it says, when it came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. He is being tested right now as he's in prison. He's being tested. His, his perseverance, his, his faithfulness, right? Because God is going to elevate him and before he elevates him, he wants to expose within his heart. Are you gonna be, are you gonna be faithful when things are good? Only, or are you gonna be faithful when things are bad? And Joseph comes through. And here's the last thing that God's presence does for us. It helps us to persevere and to prepare. Two things, actually. I could add four points, but you know, four-point sermons aren't as good as three-point sermons. So persevere and prepare. He's able to be faithful even in prison. It's like old Red said in Shawshank Redemption. He's gonna get busy living or get busy dying. He's gonna get busy living. So as he's in prison, look what happens. The Lord was with him. This is how it closes out the chapter. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. How many times? The Lord was with him, the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The same thing happened in Potiphar's house, happens in the jail. And this is not like leading a kindergarten class. These are hardened criminals. And old 25, 26 year old Joseph is in charge so much that the jailer is like, you need the keys, here's the keys. Just make sure you lock up at night. I'm, I'm gonna go take a nap. That's how faithful he is being. Why? Because God is with him. And he perseveres and he's faithful. And this is why his vision and his calling on his life has got to be there. He's going to be faithful. And here's what we see is happening. That God is not only teaching him to persevere, he's teaching him and he's preparing him. Because he's about to be thrown into the throne room of the most egomaniac man who's ever lived, a man who believes he is God himself, Pharaoh. But all along the way, God has been preparing him. He's been preparing him as he's in charge of his unruly brothers who hate him. 
but he's faithful there. And then he's thrown into a house where he knows nobody, but he rises to the top and he ended up managing this very wealthy man's, all his stuff. And then he's thrown in prison. He has to manage now a bunch of hardened criminals, a very difficult group of people to leave. And now he's gonna be thrown into Pharaoh's own throne room and he's gonna be given charge of everything in Egypt. And then he's gonna have to see his brothers who betrayed him and he's gonna show them grace and mercy and forgive and he's gonna save them. God is preparing him all the way. And if he quits, if he doesn't persevere, then he misses God's best for him. He never gets to do that. But because he sees God has a calling on his life, he's able to, to persevere and he's able to be prepared for what is next. And, and I don't know where God has you individually. As a church, we've been trying to ask the question, what is God trying to teach us with this COVID thing? What is, what is he trying to, how's he trying to shape us? What is that gonna do for the next season of ministry for us? And we're asking these questions because this is, this is not by accident. This is not like, oh, I missed that whole swine flu slash bat flu slash whatever thing. This is a, there's a purpose and we wanna, we wanna be prepared for what is next. God is right now preparing you for whatever is next. And it may through, be through blessing and it may be through prison. But if you quit, if you quit, you'll never see what he is doing. See, the encouragement is, hey, God is still with them in the prison. God is still with you in the COVID. God is still with you in the going crazy because the kids need to get out of the house and they still haven't opened anything and can't go anywhere. God is with you in that. What is God teaching us? What is God preparing us for what's next? Because for him, it's to be exalted to the second highest position in the world. And all this, again, it just reminds us, just like we talked about Easter, that God is preparing us as we read this to see the one who would come 4,000 years later. The one who would thrive even though he was, every, every seemingly turn, he was resisted. The one who was tempted in all ways by Satan himself, yet without sin. The one who endured and at his defining moment in the garden of Gethsemane said, not my will, but your will be done, right? And he accomplished what God sent for him. He prepared him and he accomplished and he, for the hope set up before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And because he did, now he, you know what he says? I'm with you. I'm with you. You can thrive too. I'm with you. You can resist also. I'm with you, you can persevere, I will prepare you. I prepared good works beforehand so that you may walk in them. That's how prepared you'll be, because I am with you. So let's be encouraged. What difference does the presence of God make? It's not just some song we sing, some deep theological truth. It teaches us, it reminds us, hey, we can thrive wherever you're at. You can resist rebellion and sin wherever you're at. And that you can persevere in whatever you face because God is preparing you uh, for glory. Let's pray. We'll sing and then we will go and enjoy this beautiful day. Father, I thank you for truth uh, that you are with us, that you will not abandon us. I pray that wherever your people are out there, that they would be reminded of that. That, that our people would thrive, even in the midst of a little bit of unknown and chaos, that they would thrive and that they would find your presence tangible and real, that they would be reminded of it, um, 
I pray for those who they've been doubting it. They're, maybe they are sitting in the pit right now and they were laid off and they're like, why, why me, why this, why now? That you would be just near to them. That they'd be reminded even as they go outside today that you care for the birds and they're not worried that, that you are mu- they are much more valuable than them. That the truth of who you are and what you promise is, is good and it's to remind us that you will never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that nothing, height, depth, can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Pray these things in Christ's name.